Hey everybody, it's Bill Courtney again with an army of normal folks. Let's continue with part two of our conversation with Sonia Agron right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're gonna get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You decide you've got to do something, and this is where I find you amazing. Is um, I, I, I don't I'll explain it to us, but you. So I understand now. I didn't that the Red Cross had centers for the first responders, and some of these guys would work all day and wouldn't even go home, and they would go and sleep in a center 
near ground zero and get a little rest and and rest up and then go back and they would never go home so they actually worked and slept there and these centers need to be need to be run and you volunteered there yeah and so so tell me what go into what i just said explain that what how it worked how it worked was my first responsibility was just to help them get food so many amazing people donated so much food um i couldn't eat i felt i was taking something away from someone else and about two days later and i wouldn't talk to anybody uh, for the first time in my life, I wasn't this bubbly person. I didn't know how to be. And I, I started doing these hero sticks, making little flags saying they were hero sticks used to fight crime. And what, what, what are you making them out of? Um, they were chapsticks, and I just put little labels on them. Here, <laughs> <laughs> you're a hero. And then I would buy a bunch of lifesavers, put them in a bag, and just say, because you are a lifesaver, because many of them weren't feeling that. Um, But it was the only way I could speak. I I could not speak. And about two days after my midnight shift, my leader with a bunch of others would say, we're going to ground zero. And I asked, are are we allowed? And she goes, have you ever looked at your ID? (laughs) It's the first time I did. And it said access everywhere. And I thought, oh, well, this is not going to please my husband. (laughs) (laughs) You had more access than him. (laughs) Um, But we went down to pray. I know now where I was because, as you both know, I have no sense of direction. Well, but but the bottom line is also there's really no clues anymore because everything's just just rubble. But I know now that I was near the North Tower and the North Tower Bridge. And the way it looked, it was like, I'm standing up here and all of a sudden I can see this big hole and it wasn't even as big as it turned out to be at the end when they had cleaned it all up. And that was Because a, it was filled with the building. Yes. Right. And I just said naively, where is everything? And one of them grabbed me and hugged me and said, so you're the New Yorker. Huh. And I said, but where, where is everything? I knew it was gone. I, I've seen the pictures, but when you see it up close, it is totally different. Okay, so... Paint that picture for me, all my senses. What did it sound like? What did it smell like? Could you taste it? I could. Taste it like rotten peaches. Rotten peaches? I only eat nectarines now. I can't deal with peaches. Really? Rotten, just rotten. And and So you could still taste it? What did it smell like? Oh, well... mm. In EMS, we know what death smells like. They give us these little Vaseline. So the whole area smelled like Oh, that? it was death. It was it was burnt flesh. Was, you could smell that uh, still. I go into the historical exhibit, and I know there are no smells there. There's nothing there. But as soon as I walk into a certain area, I have to walk back out because I'm right there again. My husband's only done it once, and that was when they gave us an exhibit. And he went in. I said, you have to. You know, you were part of this. We're trying to tell a story that people don't understand. And he said, just get me to the site and let's get out. What did it feel like? Scary. Scary to a point. Um, After that visit with my team leader, I went back and everything looked different for me. I understood why people were hugging. I understood the reason why people were just holding hands. I, I didn't want to do any of that. Strangers, really. 
yeah, but, you know, like, how are you doing this? You don't really know each other. But I understood as soon as I came back from the site. And I looked in and I said, they're comforting each other. And at that moment, they told me, your assignment's been changed. And I said, where am I going? You're going upstairs to take care of first responders. And I thought that was a blessing because I couldn't help my husband. So you're standing there and it smells like rotten peaches. No, it tastes like rotten peaches. It smells like... It smells like burning flesh. flesh. And, And... there were other smells, and you, you, I knew there were fires um, from the building. Smoke still. Yeah. Oh, there was definitely. Did smoke. it smell like diesel fuel at all? Um, you know, I don't recollect that. I, I just, I've always wondered from the planes because that's what started the fire. It, it might. If have. you could still smell that. It might have in the first week or two, but I didn't smell it when I came in on the. Okay, thing. so it tastes the it smell. Tasted, for me, it was like rotten. Did peaches. it feel gritty? Was the Everything air gritty? Was gritty. Everything was gritty from my shoes. When we got outside, we had to get another vest on. Okay, and you see a hole that's basically a building filled. Could you... And and I guess you see people working on top of the rubble. And what did you hear? Wow. You hear a lot of trucks. You hear the sounds of those big... Um, Excavators, machinery. The the machinery, but the wind... Um, the lights, the big lights. Oh, the the generators. Okay, they were going on, and it didn't look like nighttime. It looked like you were in Vegas when it's night, and all that you see is lights. Okay, well, that's another thing to see. Is so middle of the night, but it's bright Absolutely. everywhere because it's twenty four hours. You see fires, and I remember when I got out the first time. How did my shoes get so muddy? Um, really? Yeah, and I was standing. Was it in, soot? No, it was mud piles because they had been spraying the whole entire area oh. to, you know, break down any flags. And this was the residue. And, you know, I wondered, where are my shoes? I'm standing right here. And somebody said, just pull them out. We'll get them cleaned for you. And okay. And, and I was I was so robotic at that moment. But something changed when they put me into work with first responders. Yeah. And so from there, you, you that's the thing. You, you get what you're volunteering to do is actually tend to the first responders that are coming to these, what, what are they called? Respite centers. They're, they're each Re- had respite, respite center. centers. So yeah. they set up respite centers so that a fireman or any first responder or police officer or whatever, they work until they're about to drop. They're covered. The reason I wanted these senses, they're covered in this soot and this mud and this filth, and they must stink like death and rotten peaches. They have to have it all over them. What I remember is how dirty they looked. Um, I would give them enough clothes to shower just Uh to change their undergarments. And what didn't go away was the smell of smoke. Even though they had clean undergarments, they still had to wear their uniforms. Oh, they and still, so that stench never that, that does not. And we did everything. We banged it. I bought whatever I could. It didn't matter. So you're you're in this these respite centers taking care of the first responders. They're in this mess, breathing this crap, inhaling it, trying to clean and and find, frankly, body parts so that some family can have just a piece of their loved one. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but this is what it. This is reality, and they're 
coming to a respite center that you're now at to with other volunteers to help these folks get a little rest and they don't even go home and then they get back up and they go right back to it. And this went on for months. Yeah. This went on for months. One of the issues we had on our team was firefighters could take off their garments and put it on the edge of the floor. And we also had engineers and all that. But when it came to police officers, they couldn't take their guns off. And so a lot of the people that I was working with said, we don't know how to wake them up because they jump. And I go, I, I know how they to They jump it. and they've got a gun on them. Yeah. And so I said, here, follow me. This is what you do. What's their first name? So and I would say, just go up to their head, rub their faces, whisper in their ears, their name, and they're going to think they're home. And that's exactly what happened. These guys- Complete were, strangers. Didn't matter. They weren't strangers. They're, they were family now. So you're literally- Rubbing these guys. I'm heads. rubbing some other woman's husband's face, but it didn't matter. They didn't wake up in shock. They didn't wake up thinking something else is happening. Um, and for those who were working with me, they said thank you because we we would just shine flashlights in their face, hoping they would wake up and they would still jump up. One one of the things I've read about shock, and one of the things I've read about people that come home from war, is one of the hardest things they have to do is actually sleep that in closing their eyes their mind immediately goes to the horror that they've experienced and by not sleeping and keeping your eyes open your mind doesn't trick you into having to relive that horror and what that leads to though is people who are already in a stressful situation they don't get enough sleep and then it it exacerbates the problem. So it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Absolutely. Were were any of the guys I mean, we're talking about firefighters and policemen. We're talking about, you know, guys, guys rolling in these places. You're and so I gotta to be believe upset. they're walking in with this facade of I'm tough as hell. Mm -hmm. But then they shower and they try to get cleaned up and now they're supposed to get rested. Did, did any of them struggle with just sleep? Um the, the few that I had, um, when I would get them to their assigned cots, would grab my hand or wrist and tell me, can you just sit with me for a minute? And it was at that moment that I understood why my husband couldn't sleep. And they, some of them said, I can't. I don't want to see what I just saw. And I, whatever they wanted me to do, I would do. So if it was a dumb joke, I would say it. I'd invent one. Um, some of them wanted to pray. Some of them just wanted to put their heads on my shoulder, and I did it because I felt I couldn't do it for my husband. Maybe somebody in the day tour would do it for him. Um, just pay it forward. And Did you let these guys know that you were married to a cop? Absolutely. I had my— So they knew that you knew what the job yeah, was. Yeah, and I showed them. I said, listen, you know, I'm not on the job, but I am on the job. And they would smile. They would talk to me, and that would mean their whole entire 40-minute rest— but, 40 minutes. Yeah. Some That's of them all? got an hour. Well, because some of them were still on duty, they were given an hour break and they decided, oh, that's where I'm going to go. Um, and then they realized that's where we can't go because we can't, we, we're not resting. And imagine you're a police officer with all this equipment on, couldn't take any part of your uniform off because if they called you, you had to be ready to respond. And so for me, the best part and the worst part 
of my job was bringing him comfort. Anybody who wanted it. it didn't matter to me who you were, what you were crying about, whatever you wanted to tell me stayed with me. Um, and as the days went on, I, I understood why my husband wouldn't talk. I understood a lot about him. Well, you didn't have to do this. You were volunteering. I volunteered because it's, it's your responsibility, whether you're an EMT or not. This is your community. You have to get involved with your community. If you're not, then what's the point? It takes a village, and I was part of that village. So that's the point is, you know, you, you sure, you're an EMT. Sure, you're, your husband's on the job. But, you know, you just... You're you're Sonia from the Bronx, <laughs> and and in the worst thing that's happened in our country since Pearl Harbor, and in the midst of what we've described of true human horror, um, you go down there every day simply to try to console and take care of the people that are trying to take care of this mess. I think everyone should have. And how long did you do that? Um, I was there until the mid-December when my husband asked me to please not go anymore. So four he, months. Yeah. He he didn't want me to go back anymore. And, and my daughter was also, she says, Mom, I can't sleep. I can't go to school. Um, and I said, okay, I, I have to be a wife and I have to be a mom. But I felt I did something. Um, and I continued. I started from there doing other things. Just for people who weren't there here. How, how close are these these respite centers? If you're only getting a 45 minute break, they must be right on top of um, St. John's was, I think, three blocks away. Stuyvesant, so, two, three blocks. Two or three blocks. Yeah. And then they had tents. Um, okay. Well, Taj then, Mahal. even when you're not on ground zero, even working at these places, you're in the midst of it all. We saw smoke and fire for months. So, how many volunteers were there like you? Oh, wow. For the Red Cross, all I can tell you is my midnight team had about 20, with myself included, and we couldn't leave unless somebody came to replace us. Um, but it was round the clock. And some of them that I spoke to weren't even... And, there, and there were many respite centers. Yes. Uh, you had the Married Hotel that had respite centers. Whatever... Um, well, I can't say Burger King because that was a center for the police department. But wherever there was a, a hotel or something big enough to house people, that was what was done for so thousands. Them. I would say, yeah. And a lot of those stores don't even exist anymore. All of whom breathed in this toxic crap. Yeah. We'll be right back. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the Mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting Mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you, here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're 20 years later, and... You're still volunteering. I never left. I mean, except for the seven years that we couldn't talk about 9-11. Um, we, I never left. My heart was always there. And when the opportunity came up after my mom passed, before she passed, she reminded me that I said, I'm still going to do something for the community. And she goes, you've been taking care of me too long. And the day after we buried her, I got the email from Tribute. Um, Are you still interested? To, to explain to our listeners what Tribute is. The 9-11 Tribute Museum was the first museum um, on Ground Zero, and it was started by the September 11th Families Association. And we actually started on the streets. We didn't have offices or anything. We would just pull people and ask, would you like to go? And we can tell you. And the criteria of the 9-11 uh, Tribute Museum was that the only people who could do this were people who had a personal connection. So The only people who would do tours. Yeah. Or talks, we've gone to school, I've gone to Japan. Um, and so it's either a first responder, recovery worker, a survivor, a family member, or a resident, because we were directly affected. And that became the difference between what we do and what the National Museum does. And it was not only to tell the stories, that's what we thought we were doing. What we realized very soon was that we were healing because you're talking to strangers who aren't going to tell you, move on and get over it. 
Um, and at the end, those strangers became our friends. They hugged us. Uh, some of them have kept in touch with us. Um, they've come back three, four, five times, and they will say, oh, we want to tour with Sonia. I go, there are so many other people. Yeah, no, we, we want to hear from you. And we put a face on 9-11. But people forget about the Flight 93, where there were 40 people, which used to be always 200. That flight took off late. And these 40 people knew they were being hijacked. They knew where they were going, and they made the democratic decision when that plane was over land or water that they would take over that cockpit, even though they knew they would die. And I, I always say not to take away from any of our first responders, but those were our first heroes. They knew what was going to happen. Because to whatever that plane was going to hit, they saved. And, and the, people the people in, what, in whatever— some think it was the Capitol. Some think it was the the White House. Well, it was it was the Capitol because Congress was in session. It was the first day. Had to have been, I, I think. It, it was New York's uh, the world's economy, uh, world's military, which was the Pentagon and the Capitol, and they got two out of three. But we owe these forty people a debt of gratitude that they knew. They didn't know why, but they knew. Um, they were getting calls, information, and they said, "We're not letting this happen." And by that time, I believe both captains were murdered. Um, and, and there is a black box that was taken. We, we've gone to Shanksville, and there is a, a display of how the plane was—people were fighting, and you can see the plane going deep to the right, deep to the left, and the terrorists would say, we're not going to make our mark. Let's just kill them. And so they flew the plane up, twisted the plane upside down, and that was that. They didn't care. And saved— Countless lives, the hundreds, maybe even this thousands. This is why those are my favorite people of all time. Okay, so my my question to you about the about the the volunteer work is, um, I've I've been really fortunate to meet some of the first responders, um, recently, and every one of them I've met are sick with some kind of weird leukemia or stomach stuff and they all have this this cough that's odd. The bark. We call it Do the bark. You, and you have that. And my husband and I compete every morning. Whose bark is the loudest? Your, your husband what? We, and I compete every morning. Whose bark is the loudest? It's and you what, call it the bark? It's Because it sounds like we're barking. And tell me, tell me what, what it's cost medically among the well, group we, of people thankfully that, we had insurance and then the vcf came the victims compensation fund a federal program to cover the medical bills for illnesses resulting from the toxic environment that was ground zero and basically we get free medicine but it's hard to get certified for any illness we have to prove we were there we have to get affidavits. My husband, for one, was there. I mean, he signed his timesheets. And when he went after he got sick, he got sick 10 years later. Um, he had already been retired. And when he, they told him, you can get three quarters for this. This was on the job. Don't let it go. They denied him four times uh, because you can still work. And he goes, no, I'm a bodyguard. And... Um, there are things I have to do while I'm protecting someone that I cannot do. And so it's their life or my job, and I'm here to protect their lives. And he literally had to go to another hearing and pull his pants down and show his diapers. Are you kidding me? No. 
that. And then the wives left behind. Some of these men and women, but I can only speak for the women I know. I'm in a support group, private support group, because we have, our husbands did not come home. They didn't. Their bodies did, but their minds, their attitude, everything is, we're married to two different men. They get angry. They don't. Under, they won't do as they're told in terms of medical. Um, then we have to watch them get sick. We have to watch them get worse. We have our children have to watch it. And then when that's done, then we have to watch them die. And then after that, we depend on what on our benefits because we've been spending all this time taking care of them. And then they're denied. Oh well, no, he didn't sign this. Oh no, she, he was there. He was there. We, we have proof he was there, and that's never enough. Our city failed us. Our government failed us. Are you, um, are you dealing with health issues? I gave up, yes. I, I have, oh, wow. They won't approve my um, fibromyalgia, which I never had before 9-11. They won't approve my thyroid illness. They only, gave, they only approved my sinus and my um, GERD. That's it. And I, I, I'm in, I'm in constant pain. I've tried every treatment available to me, but I only have one kidney due to cancer, and um, there's a lot of things I can't take. Um, my husband had bladder cancer last year. They removed a tumor occupying 85% of his spine. Um, but if you go to a doctor now and you put down your medical history and you say anything about 9/11, they do this. Now we don't want to have anything to do with that. These are doctors. These are doctors. They don't have anything to do with you. They don't want to fill out any paperwork. And there is no paperwork to fill out. Just write a letter. So can we say that the penalty that you and your family are experiencing and many families that volunteered and gave their time in the aftermath of 911 literally is killing you? It is. So it i got to ask you, would you change it? Would I change while I'm going down there? Mm-hmm. No. Even though you're in constant pain and even though your strapping cop husband had to demoralize himself to try to get all of it, would you wouldn't change a bit of it. Yeah. Why? Because it's humanity. It's humanity at its best. We have to do what we can for each other. Otherwise, your community suffers. And what happens when there's another attack? Your community isn't strong enough. People don't care enough for each other. Oh, that's not my business. I'm not, no, I'm not, that has nothing to do with me. Yes, 9-11 had to do with everybody. It was a global event. 92 nations were affected, but it was also a personal event. And there are a lot of people that, uh, no, I don't want to be bothered. Or some people that just can't because it's too hard. I have friends that have moved out. I don't, I don't want to be here. Sonia. You know, you were in your early 20s when you saw the lady fall out. And it started a uh, it started a decades long journey for you of just serving other people. And it's it's at this point cost you and your husband your health It's cost you your um I, I, it, it sounds to me like it's cost uh, some of your happiness. It's cost us our daughter. It's cost you your daughter. How? We're, we're speaking now, but 
At one point, she screamed and yelled, and she said, I'm sick and tired of you guys being so sick. I'm tired of this. And we didn't hear from her for about six months. And my husband and I thought, this, this is the price we pay. Um, she's come back around since then, but she's angrier than ever. And we, we feel so guilty that we had a part of that. Um, there are a lot of people who... I know one woman, a good friend, husband is PD, and his attitude has changed so much that three of her children want to die. They've actually attempted murder, and she had to leave the house because of abuse. And that's why we have a private group, survivors, wives of 9-11 survivors, because we're paying a price that nobody seems to understand. And we get told, well, you can go to the group therapy. We don't want to talk to a group of women that don't understand what we're dealing with. And then we're told how ungrateful we were, that, oh, they came back, so you should be happy that you're dealing with this. <laughs> no, I didn't marry that guy. And I didn't expect to lose my daughter either. And, and though she's in our life and we have a beautiful granddaughter, there's still that anger between us. And we just try. That's I, a blessing. Yeah. I just turn it off because it, my, right now it's like I don't have time to be a mother. I can only be a grandmother. <laughs> these are the things we tell ourselves. But it, it's hurting us. It's killing us. And we're not the only ones. There are a lot of my girlfriends who says my, my daughter left. My son left oh, because my husband is this way. So as wives, we've, you know, we got to take care of our partner, but we also have to take care of our children. And if we try to do either one, someone's always going to be angry at us. I just live every day thanking God that he trusted me enough to live another day. That's the way I have to see it. Otherwise, I know I will go absolutely bonkers. And I don't have any intentions of doing that. We'll be right back. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and 
and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024. And we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother or, in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We, we talk a lot about, um, on this show, about common people doing extraordinary things. That's, that's the whole idea of the army of normal folks, and... You know, there's just not much more normal than a than a than a paramedic and a cop getting married in the Bronx and living life, and the extraordinary things that you did after 9/11 just to serve, and then the extraordinary things you've done in in the last few years to 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 tell the real story of 9/11 uh, to people who who wanted to know what was going on, and all that it's cost you and you still say I wouldn't change a bit of it because it, it was just the right thing to do I mean you have to do the right thing but that is so inspirational that is I just listen some things that we, we, we we've talked to people who were in jail for 20 something years and then they turn their life around and they help others we've we're talking to people who uh, take homeless people jogging and actually turn their lives around and all these stories. And But the point is, you are living proof that you don't have to start a 501c3. You don't have to start a massive organization. You, you don't have to raise a bunch of money. You can be just a, a common, living, trying to figure it out person, just like the vast majority of, of us, and still find ways to do amazing things to serve their fellow man. And even in the face of sickness and death, you still say, 
that's what we have to do. We're responsible for each other. And I think that's what we've lost. An entire year after 9-11, you could look at someone in the face and say, how are you? And they'd stop and tell you. Um, you would let people stand in front of you in, in the line because they only had three items and you've been there for 20 minutes. I believe you are where you're supposed to be. Don't, don't question it. Um, it's just what we have to do. And I, our country has gone down the tubes. But it's, so you're saying it's not a good thing to give back. It's a responsibility. It's, it's a good thing. To no, give it's back, not just a good thing. It's a, it's a major responsibility. I mean, think about one thing. Uh, where I live, I live in a tall building. I might have 12 people who live on the same floor. I know there's about three elderly. If our internet is off or we know we're getting a bad storm, I immediately turn on, make some soup, and I just leave it in front of their door because some people are very proud. And they looked at that as, oh, you feel sorry for me. No, it's just being neighborly just to let you know there's somebody here to help you. And I've had several people knock on my door who, you know, we just say hello to. And, and one of them did do that a few years ago. And my husband, Imina, she was walking around the hallways crazy. And I brought her in. I went ran back to her apartment. I took all her meds and I called 911. I just went on her cell phone, called the daughter. And, oh, my God, and they're transporting her. I'll stay with you. No, I'm going to be there. And two weeks later, she came back. And in, in our culture, an elephant is is a good luck blessing thing. And so she bought me an elephant with some plants on it. And, you know, sadly, she would die six months later. But I am forever grateful that she knew at one point in her life when she was all alone that she wasn't. And no one should be alone. I, I, I love the holidays, but I also hate them. Because I know so many people are alone and they shouldn't be. And when my daughter was in college, I would bring all the kids over who couldn't afford to fly home. I mean, isn't that what mom's supposed to do? Wouldn't you as a mother want to know that someone's taking care of your kid? Um, and nobody cares anymore. It's, we don't live in the same world we used to live in. I don't know this world. But I refuse to give up. I'm not afraid either. Well, I, I, I think... The human spirit and the very things that you're talking about that 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 d demonstrate our humanity, I think it still exists. Um, but I think it's examples of people just like you who help to inspire people to to remember that um, that humanity is important. Yeah, I don't see any rich people helping us. We do it on our own. Yeah, we do it on our own because we can. Doesn't whatever. It's what you. Listen, I always tell anybody, I, I have a spare room. It's a little messy, but you're entitled to come over and say, you got a private bathroom, and I do cook. <laughs> um, there's always a way. It just, I just think people, Chicken and rice? Arroz con pollo, precisely. Oh, boy, what the world is that? Yes, it's rice mixed with the chicken, with peas, and you cook it so that the rice tastes like chicken. Oh, really? Does Joe like it? Oh, I, that's his favorite. <laughs> I just recently got into Sloppy Joe's, and he goes, why didn't you ever cook that for me? I said, that's what I cooked when I was single and couldn't afford to do anything. He goes, please, bring back those meals. So we're very—listen, I married a great guy. Uh, when I don't want to cook, um, if it's not food, I'll take food. He he cooks. I, you know, I, I married the top of the line. <laughs> that's it. That's all there is to it. Sonia, you are— um 
again, you're an inspiration. You're you're adorable to sit and talk to. <laughs> you got. I wish I wish people could see this big pretty smile. It just it. You you talk with your hands. Yeah, and you well, move, that's so, the Puerto Rican. Oh, oh you, you're just you're just you're a blast to to talk to. And um, again, I you know I I I, I don't want to overdo this, but I don't want to sensationalize for the purposes of a show the the story we've talked about today. But I think it's really important people understand just the the depth of the carnage. And I think it's important people understand that um, 9-11 still hasn't stopped killing. But more importantly, I want people to understand that the, the, the hidden silver lining of the whole event is that um, it did bring out some of the best of our humanity. That whole year was a beautiful year. Yeah. That whole year was a beautiful, beautiful year. And despite all the illness and pain and suffering, those that served down there, I, I can't find any one of them that would say, no, I wish I had to gone head first. We had to be there. But see, isn't that what it means to be an army of normal folks? Just Absolutely. normal folks as an army helping one another out and trying to serve just for the love of humanity. That's what's, that's what's missing, but I've also seen it. I've seen it lately. Um, some people taking charge. Uh, how about if we do this? How about if we build this garden? How about if we do that? That's what I'm talking about. You don't. You don't need to go through written proposals, and you don't need to go to your um, congressman. They're not going to do. I'm. I don't believe that they do it. No, I have said plenty that I think the government proves woefully inadequate. Yeah. In in serving. But it's the people yeah. that are living this that know how it's done and know what to do and know the cost involved. And so we, anybody listening to us, any, you don't you don't have to go join something. You just do it. Just go do something. Like you said, just serve. Just, 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 just do, do it. it. Serve, it. serve somebody that needs serving. And you're going to feel ten times better. It yeah, is, that is kind of the payoff. Isn't it? It, it is my payoff. Um, I, I mean, you get you get so much more out of it. Listen, um, since I decided to start doing tours on my own until tribute gets back on its feet, I can't tell you how many people come in and go, you're doing this for free? And I go, for now, because, you know, tribute needs to come back. And they go, but you came all the way down here. I says, but you, where did you come from? And we start that conversation, and then I tell them things that I think everyone should know, and they go, we didn't know that. Oh, well, now you do. Now go back home and tell other people. <laughs> and and the irony is... Um uh, you were supposed to have a shift today to go volunteer to tell these stories. Well, this was important. Yeah, but that's this what you're still doing. I am. I, I decided to do it on Saturday instead. Has, I just has Joe joined no, you? he won't. Um, he stopped doing tours about four years ago. But he did do some. He did do some under the condition that I do it with him. He would not talk with anyone else. In tribute, you have a lead and then you have a support. The support He's tells the story. He... After a while, he says, I can't keep my story straight because so many things keep coming back. And Oh, so as he was doing tours, he would start remembering he, more and more, more. stuff. And so one day I just took him down and says, talk to me. I made up a list of questions. Talk to me. Tell me, okay, what happened this? And then, and I put it all together. I go, here, that's your story. Hmm. And if you, it's okay to tell people I don't recall. 
I, I don't remember. That evades me because they need to also understand that our brains give us as much as we can handle. Yeah, sometimes they're oppressive. And, but he, I think when COVID started and he lost his good partner who was also uh, sick from 9-11 and we saw him one day and the following week he was dead from COVID. Mm. That just... That was enough, huh? That was enough for him and he will go with me. Um, we've spoken in the precincts to the rookies. They don't know about 9-11 for Well, sure. see, that's the other thing. I mean... You you think about what a rookie cop is. What are they, 23, 24, 25? Yeah, they have no idea. They weren't even alive. Nope. Some of them. Nope. And if they were two, three years old, and if they yeah. had parents who were affected by 9-11, they know so, just So that. Joe's going and talking to the rookie cops? No, I go, um, I, 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 oh, I book everything, and then I tell them I need you to be there. Oh, really? <laughs> so then, you kidnap them? Yeah. So are you then, a kidnapper? Yes, absolutely, with pride. <laughs> Um, and when I get there, I go, gee, I'm just so exhausted. Can you handle this part for me? And he, yeah, okay, so you did it again. No, no, seriously, you don't have to go if you don't want to. Well, I just know that game so well. Um, <laughs> you, when you become a parent, you learn a lot more things. Um, and he'll do it. He'll just talk briefly. But once he gets started, he won't my man up. is back. Yeah, that's and right. So I don't force him. But if I know that this is an opportunity where he gets to speak to other officers, that's his thing. Yeah, of course. It's That's the brotherhood. Yeah. Otherwise, can you talk to my friend? Yeah, no. no she'll never understand. Yeah. And they believe that, but, you know. But that's a lot like you hear people from war coming back, and they won't talk with their families. But if you get them around a bunch of vets, they'll all talk to my each other. My father never it. talked about being Because shot. they can identify with each other. I've, my father never told us he was shot. In the Korean War, he never told us how bad it was. He did show us his bayonet and said, so this is what you do. You go like this and you do like that. Like, yeah, no, I don't want to go to war. If I have to stab, be that yeah. close to someone and stab him. <laughs> yeah, no. That's all he told us. That's all he had. My mother lived during the war, um, came over from the Netherlands with my grandfather, was sent to Puerto Rico. She would never talk about it. Hmm. So And so Joe will open up when he's in the oh, safety of people that are in that Because he knows that no one's going to judge him, and he knows that they know. Yeah, well, that's good, though. Well, what's important for me was I started writing notebooks to our granddaughter. And then about four years ago, Joe had a child from a previous marriage, and she would not allow the child to come around. And now we have another granddaughter. Well, that's awesome. So I've started dividing what I have and doing it for her because nobody told us in our family their history. Yeah, but and that, it has to start that will somewhere. matter so much. More it has that. to start somewhere. I yeah. want them to know that there's a lot they can do. Yeah, and it well, doesn't what cost they need thing. to know is that their grandfather, Joe, and their grandmother, Sonia, are heroes. Well, you know, I, I know, I know the self-effacing thing and I know it feels bad to hear that, but I'm telling you, um, you know, you guys, you guys have given your life to serving this community and it, it's, it's inspiring and you're still dealing with, with, with physical and mental and, um, psychological pain from it. Yet you wouldn't change a, a minute about no. what you did. And, no. you know, you can, you can all shucks it all you want, but that is the definition of I a might hero. change some of the things that I did do to protect myself, but that wasn't what was on my mind. My no, I mind. understand, but you, that is, that's heroic work and it's inspiring work. And 
it encapsulates what it means to be just a a a, a, a member of the army of normal folk, just normal folk doing amazing things. And I'm inspired by you, and I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed visiting with oh, you this I'm morning. I'm inspired by you and that wonderful documentary. Oh, you well, did. Now, now, see, now on. you're doing what I did. Well, no, I coach football. You save lives. It doesn't lives. matter, you, but you saved lives. Uh, you, maybe you don't know that, but you saved lives of all those people okay. you touch. So you <laughs> well, are I don't, a I hero don't is an ordinary person who does extraordinary things, and that's well, what you did. Well, then, then so, we're just kindred spirits. Okay, we? then. Then I'll take the hero if you take the hero. I'll, I'll take it. Okay, we're all good right. then. So... Um, we do a lot of stories on a lot of different things, like I said earlier. And one of the things we really encourage folks to do is just to, I, I give out my email address. If someone is listening today and says, you know, I can't start a 501c3 or I can't start a big organization, but I can sure as heck just find a place to, to volunteer or even if they're in New York and they have an experience that they want to, uh, to share, um, do you mind uh, giving our listeners your email address so somebody can reach out to you? Absolutely not. Um, I will give you the one email address that's mine. Yeah, I your I email use address, it for, all yours. For personal stuff, but it's uh, Sonia, S-O-N-I-A, uh-huh. Agron, A-G-R-O-N, ninth, oh, I'm giving you my age, um, <laughs> 57 <laughs> at gmail.com. All right, say it one more time, and remember that our this is a national audience, and people from Memphis think you guys talk funny. So, so should I talk with a flying? Yeah, do that. You want me? Okay, you can do it that so way, but just do it one more time. Sonia S O N I A Agron A G R O N nineteen fifty seven at gmail dot com. Awesome, high five. Um, in the in the shadow of the Freedom Tower, I say to you, thank you so much for the the time this morning and. It has been an honor to get to meet you. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. And thank you for joining us this week. To join an army of normal folks, go to normalfolks.us and sign up to become a member of the movement. We would love to hear what you're doing in your community. And if there's stories you know about that you think we should tell, write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with friends and on social. All the things that can help us grow an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'll see you next week. Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.